and welcome to Legally Bond, a podcast presented by the law firm Bond, Shenikin King. I'm your host, Kim Wolf-Price. Today's episode is the third installment in the Bond Women's Initiative's Torchbearer Spotlight series. This series, the work of the Bond Women's Initiative, spotlights women attorneys either currently or formerly with Bond in various stages of their careers. The purpose? To showcase the many ways Bond women lead and inspire others. I'm excited for you to hear this conversation with Sharon Porcelio. Sharon is a member in Bond's Buffalo office, who is not only an accomplished litigator, but also a leader in the New York State Bar Association and the Bar in general, having chaired sections and been appointed to numerous judicial task forces and work groups. And for me, Sharon is someone whose career inspires me and whose support I am very grateful for. Sharon is interviewed in this podcast by Stephanie Fedorka, an associate in the firm's labor department, primarily working out of our Syracuse and Rochester offices, who is herself becoming active as a founding member of a new Latinx Bar Association in Central New York and a member of the New York State Bar Association's Diversity and Inclusion Committee. It's a wonderful conversation to listen in on. Now, here's the third installment of the Bond Women's Initiative's Torchbearer Spotlight. It is truly an honor to be able to interview Sharon. So Sharon, you and I share a common alma mater, which is one of the reasons I think we quickly connected here at Bond. So to get our conversation started, I would love if you could share with us a little bit about your personal and educational background. Sure. Thanks, Stephanie. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for doing this interview. I was born and bred in Buffalo, New York, but for stints in Groton and New London, Connecticut, when I was a young child and my dad was in the Navy. Beat Rochester at the University of Rochester when Stephanie was, uh, not, was not there. That's her alma mater. She was definitely not there <laughs> when I was there. And then I, I spent a semester in Washington, D.C. during college, and then I went to law school in Chicago. And a little more background, I'm uh, one of three children. I'm the oldest of three, two girls and, and a boy. And I was the first one in our family to go to college as you graduate from college. I did public school through eighth grade at Lackawanna City Schools, where I had a great background, and then went to Mount Mercy Academy, an all-girls private Catholic school for high school. So, and obviously college was in Rochester, as Stephanie said, that was our, our common alma mater, which gave me a great education, and I'm still actively involved with them. But probably the most important thing out of that, in addition to that great education and, and the friends I made there, was I met my husband there. And my husband is Joe Kubarik, who, as it turns out, after many, many years of practice separately for the last six years, has been my partner at Bond through the uh, combination of Bond with the venerable Buffalo law firm of Jaco Fleischman and Mugel. And I'm very happy, since we're talking about my co our college years, to say that Joe and I were the first two of now at least six family members who have U of R degrees. So that makes uh, me very happy about our U of R involvement. And then we both went to law school at Northwestern, now Northwestern Pritzker School of Law in Chicago. That's great. And, and you know, I love Buffalo too. Go Bills. Where did you start off your legal career? Did you come back to Buffalo? Did you stay in the Chicago area? Well, actually, the, the U of R recruitment office was instrumental sort of in our Northwestern stint. Northwestern was actually interviewing at the U of R at the time, and the head of the pre-law group, as it was at the time, asked us to interview with Northwestern, uh, the, those of us that she thought you know were possibilities to get in, and we did, and so we both, that's how we ended up in Chicago, but with the intention, Northwestern was interviewing on the East Coast with the hope that the students that they took 
would go back to where they came from. And and Joe and I were quite agreeable to that because we did both come back this way. And you'll, you'll hear that a little bit longer because as it is, Joe started out, believe it or not, at Bond in Syracuse when I was in Buffalo because uh, back to the first summer, I had uh, work-study money and Northwestern allowed me to use it in Buffalo. And so my first summer after law school, I worked at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Buffalo. Then U.S. Attorney, now Senior District Court Judge Richard Arcara, hired me to work in the U.S. Attorney's Office. That was what I did after my first year of law school. Then the next summer, I was a summer law clerk at Phillips Lytle here in Buffalo. And at that time, there were no women partners and a handful of women associates. But I got an offer and then I began my as a full-fledged associate after law school. So you shared with us a little bit about your beginnings of your career back in Buffalo at Phillips Lytle. And I know you've been committed and involved in several projects at achieving, aimed at achieving equality for women within our profession. Uh, Can you share with us a little bit about how you became such a committed and involved member of the bar and and why that was important to you? Sure. I I wish I could tell you it was all altruistic and planned and I had this, but can't say that because it was actually somewhat self-interested. And uh, I wanted to be a litigator. And when I joined Phillips, they had a kind of like a rotation program, which was fine with me because then I could work in different departments, learn different areas of law, meet more of the lawyers. But prior to me coming back as a full time, as a, you know, a full fledged associate, they had merged with the firm in Rochester, and they had some real estate needs, and they asked me to leave the rotation and to help out with this real estate work. They knew I wanted to do litigation, so they were very, you know pointed out that I could do foreclosures. I could work with the partner who did foreclosures in the real estate department too. So I would have a a little bit of my foot in the litigation department, but they really needed some help. So although that was not really what I wanted to do, I did it. But the important thing was at the same time that I was doing that, they were encouraging their new lawyers to become active in the community and also to join bar associations. So that was what I did kind of with with a vengeance. But so since I wanted to be a litigator, when I picked my bar association committees, I joined everything that was litigation related. So of course I did, I overdid because I didn't know what I was doing. I was a brand new lawyer. I had, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. So I joined way too many things, but I had stuck with for all these years, the bar association in Ray County, the New York state bar and the ABA and did become active in all those. Like I said, I might've been a little too um, overcommitted at first, but I eventually, I did figure it out sooner rather than later. Thank goodness. Because like I said, you can't you can't do everything and you can't certainly do it well. But I really found my niche then with the New York State Bar Associations, then uh, litigation sections, federal courts committee. You know, I joined that because, frankly, you know, I'd gone to Northwestern. I didn't know about state law. I knew what I needed to know to pass the bar exam, obviously, and anything I learned when I was doing research for work. But I knew about federal courts and I thought that's what I wanted to be. I was going to be in federal court all the time doing as much as I could do. So since I wanted to keep on top of things and I was doing real estate at the time, I was going to be ready when I made the move to litigation. So I did everything I could to be involved with litigation, even when I wasn't doing it. And as you obviously figured out, I eventually did get into the litigation department at Phillips, but I then decided I was going to make a move and I moved over to Damon and Maury, which as it turned out, the month I joined Damon and Maury was the same month Melinda DeSere, who's one of our Bond's recently retired partners, became the first woman partner there. And I had known Melinda for years, so that was pretty exciting. And I was very pleased to be able to uh, join her at Damon. So she kind of led the way, I guess, being a torchbearer and a trailblazer, so to speak. And I was very pleased to join her 
as a second woman partner at Damon Mori a couple of years later. Getting back to the uh, Bar Association, as I said, I, jo- I decided to join the Federal Courts Committee, but that truly changed my entire career. It allowed me to explore issues not immediately on my desk and to meet people and judges that I never would have met in my career had I not joined that committee. It was it truly was amazing. You know, I gained all kinds of knowledge that helped me to develop as a lawyer, not only for my clients, but also the involvement with this group truly piqued my intellectual curiosity, challenged me in, in so many ways. It allowed me to find areas in the profession and in the system that needed attention and change. And it had made available ways that I could help or do that. It got me involved in, like I said, other than what you know I had to do that was on my desk. And really, that's what kind of began my journey, my bar association journey, if you will. Yeah, that's amazing. And I know you've done a lot of work. And I'm not just saying that you've done so much work for the bar associations. I want to revisit one quick point that you noted earlier. You said when you were starting out, you took on a lot more than you probably should have. So I think as a junior level attorney looking to you, what type of advice would you give us who are perhaps taking on a lot or what types of things? How do you prioritize what things to get involved in or how do you pick and choose from the several opportunities. I think there's an eagerness that we all have, or a lot of us have to take everything on. Yeah. But like you mentioned, you know, it might be too much. So what, what types of advice would you provide to picking or prioritizing what to get involved in? Well, that's, that's a great question. And I didn't think to ask anybody, number one, to ask people that you know, you've got a lot of colleagues, or even if they're not your colleagues at work, your friends who are lawyers, or if you are going to a bar association, talk to people there, find out what they do, what the committees actually do, and what, what involvement means. I mean, some of them want you to be very active and have opportunities. And also kind of like what I did was you sort of dip your toe in the water. I mean, when I started out, the Bar Association of Erie County was great and and I was part of their federal practice committee and chaired it for a number of years. I mean, that was easy because it was local and there were people there I could talk to once I got there. You kind of sit in the room for a while and get the lay of the land. But for the other, you know, the other ones, the main piece of advice is also just don't bite off more than you can chew because find out like don't volunteer for projects that you can't do because that's the worst thing you can do. If you're going to volunteer for something, you know, make sure you do it and you do it well. But I, I would say just talk to people. And now I predate the internet. I know that's probably hard to believe, but yes, I predate the internet. So I didn't have those kinds of resources. So you also have some resources. You could see what kind of programs those organizations do and what they might involve. But I think talk to people. I mean, people are usually pretty good and like to help out. And they, because it, if you join, they want you to be active. So they've got to find people who are really interested. So the most important thing is, I think maybe the first thing when I said, is I did this out of my selfish reasons because I wanted to do litigation. So you've got to find something that you really want to do. You don't join the real estate committee if you want to do litigation. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So before we jump into my, my torchbearer question, I, I want to pick your brain a little bit more about, I know you've been involved with several reports that have come out, like I mentioned earlier, aimed at improving equality for women in the bar and members of our profession. Is there one in particular that you might want to speak to and share with our listeners now? 
Well, I think the one thing with being in the committee that I was talking about morphs into the commercial and federal litigation section, which we'll get to in in a minute. But I think they did and do incredibly fantastic substantive reports, all of which I, I would highly recommend. But I think what happened was there were seven of us female former chairs. I hate when people say former female chairs, but female former chairs of the section you know, I've been practicing for a number of years and it occurred to us as we were talking, including Judge Shinlin, who obviously had a courtroom. So she was seeing what was in front of her and the rest of us were appearing in court, state and federal. And it seemed that the women in the room and in ADR were just not taking lead roles or getting as much uh, speaking time as their male counterparts. But we didn't know if that was just what we were thinking we saw or if it was reality. So we formed our committee and we put together a survey that was the the actual the first observational study done in the country. We did it of New York State and federal courts. I mean it was it was voluntary. We all asked the judges. I mean obviously I did the ones that Rochester, Syracuse, upstate. I had uh, Suzanne Messer in our Syracuse office was great about taking care of the that part of the uh, the judges and the downstate lawyers did that sort of stuff. We got the judges. So they filled out from Labor Day through the end of the year. They filled out a questionnaire of certain actions that were in their courtrooms, mostly commercial cases and who appeared, who talked, how many lawyers there, there were, that kind of uh, information. And at the end, in 2017, you know, we pulled everything together and released a report that's called, uh, If Not Now, When? Achieving Equality for Women Attorneys in the Courtroom and in ADR. Unfortunately, it confirmed what we had you know, what we had been seeing it was a basically about a you know 25% or less active role for women in the courtroom, even though more than 50% of the women, you know, they're women in law school. And, you know, frankly, those of us, the, the uh, seven of us who were working on this report had been in the pipeline for more than 25 years. And the thought was at the time we started was if you're in the pipeline long enough and you have enough women in the in the pipeline, that everything would change and it would just, you know, be sort of an organic change. And unfortunately, what we found out was was not an organic change. So um, we made some recommendations about, you know, things firms could do, clients could do, courts could do. And the one thing we're very pleased to point out was the courts actually really responded and stepped up and the judges developed and adopted a number of rules that allowed for junior lawyers, men and women, to participate in, you know, most times when you go to court, one lawyer does the whole argument, even though the associate who's done all the work is probably sitting there, hopefully not biting his or her tongue when the partner isn't getting quite what the associate had hoped the partner would say, right? But there's no reason that the associate couldn't stand up and do a piece, you know, a piece of the oral argument, except that those were the rules. The judges didn't let that. So the courts have adopted some rules that will allow younger, less experienced, and they need to be younger, obviously, less experienced lawyers speak up, at least take a part in a, a you know, either questioning or an oral argument or some sort of proceeding. So we're very, we're very happy that that was one of the positive developments. And we committed to doing this, the uh, survey again because we didn't want to just let it drop, and which we did. So three years later, we did it again. Unfortunately, our second report, which I also highly recommend, which I want to get give you the exact correct uh, 
you know, name in that, which is called The Time Is Now, Achieving Equality for Women Attorneys in the Courtroom and in ADR, was released right as COVID hit. So it's kind of, you know, hasn't gotten quite the attention or the focus and that we had hoped it would get because it also had, it, it took the recommendations we made in the 2017 one a little bit further. And ideally, you know, we're not going to let that drop. We will move forward with following up on that. I don't, I don't know if there'll be another uh, whole survey or whatever, but I think the recommendations and the um, information in that report really need to be followed up on and, and will be once we get uh, out of the, the particular situation we're in right now. But those I would, I know those are really important. And especially because, you know, we did see some positive results. We just need to have some more. Yeah. And I think that that work is so important and it really exemplifies all of your involvement, but the, your involvement in these projects, I think, exemplifies in and of themselves your commitment to the profession, personal dedication to the growth and development of attorneys who are junior to you. And that exemplifies, at least to me, what a torchbearer is. And I think you're a torchbearer to me and others in the community as well. But what exactly does the word torchbearer mean to you? Well, Kim explained it nicely at the beginning, and I was involved when, you know, we were kind of picking out a name, but, you know, I wanted to, number one, thank you for considering me your torchbearer, because obviously I don't like normally think of myself that way, because I like what I'm doing, and it's just something that's evolved. So I I wanted to write down what I thought, thought about it after our discussions, I reflected on it, and I thought that torchbearers are those who are out there trying to do what needs to be done, to do the right thing, being successful themselves, both personally and professionally, while helping others along the way and leaving the people and situations they encounter better than they were. So I was happy with that. But then, of course, because what else do lawyers do? And then I went and looked it up. So then I looked and I found lots of definitions. And uh, But the one I liked, I think actually fit with the one I developed on my own and that we're using for our women's initiative, I think, is it's a person who leads or inspires others working toward a valued goal. I thought that was really important. I think that kind of fit with my own definition of it. And frankly, if, if that's something that I can do, if I can do that, then I would consider everything very successful. And I'm very happy that I've spent all this time doing this. I really do think you have, Sharon. You know, even though you and I haven't worked very, very, very closely, the work and your involvement, even, you know, internally in the firm and in the community has inspired me. And I think that's why one of the reasons I'm so honored to be able to to meet with you and and have this interview. (laughs) So now I would love to hear, based on those definitions and what we've talked about a little bit, who comes to mind to you who were torchbearers to you as you developed in this profession? Well, thanks. I'm happy to share those because there are there are a number that really should be called out by name. But I have to say, I have to start because I would not have been able to start out on this course at all, of course, without having uh, been blessed with uh, very supportive parents. I grew up in a very traditional Italian family, but my dad always wanted to go to college and couldn't. So he, they, you know, my parents wanted all three of their children to go to college. That even meant the girls, which I hate to say is something that was said, but believe it or not, at that time, some families didn't think their girls should go to college. So anyway, so dad worked three jobs. We only had one car in the family, but somehow mom made everything else work. She did everything else and took care of everything else. So I think that that's really, really important because if you don't start out with a good base, 
then it's very hard to go anywhere else. But in addition to that, as you heard earlier, I also had enhanced the loving family that I had to start with with my husband, who obviously was supportive. As you heard, he started at Bond in Syracuse and I was at Phillips Lytle in Buffalo. And he's the one who moved. He moved to Buffalo and so we could be together. So, you know, he's always supported all my efforts career-wise and has challenged me professionally as well. Look, we'll talk, we don't talk about personally, we'll talk about professionally, right? And, uh, but he's always supported everything and has also had a number of associates that uh, he's worked with over the years, including many women. And I think, you know, it's been very, that that's obviously a good way to start. But then Stephanie, back to our U of R connection, I have another U of R connection. Backing up to my senior year at uh, Mount Mercy, we had, we had a brand new French teacher. And as you might imagine, a French four class, especially in a you know a small Catholic girls school, was pretty small. And she took a personal interest, and in, I think there were eight of us in her class, and you know, asked all everyone where they were applying to college, blah, blah, blah. And I hate to say it, but I had never heard of the U of R at that time. But she encouraged me to apply to the University of Rochester. Her husband was an alum. And obviously I did. And the, the rest is history. And I'm happy to say I've been able to speak with her over the years as well as her husband. So to thank them, because I think that's another important thing. Make sure you thank people along the way who have helped you or had a positive influence on you. So that that's another U of R connection here. And so then moving on to law school, when I was in law school, there really were not a lot of um, women professors. I did have the good fortune of my trial technique class had a adjunct professors from Chicago who would come in like the class was a Friday from like, you know, five to seven, but it was okay because we had real, real lawyers who came in and there was a female plaintiff's personal injury lawyer named Patty Bob, who was just fantastic. And she was really the first woman lawyer that I ever got to see. And so I had that that uh, experience. But almost, I think this begins like my uh, focus. I think most of my torchbearers really professionally in the profession end up being my colleagues and contemporaries. And this kind of starts it because when I went to Northwestern, my first year, we had three like law review journals. And I think for the first, certainly for the first time, and maybe the only time I haven't checked, all three of the editors of those journals were women. And I had the good fortune of becoming uh, good friends and no- knowing well one one of the one of those editors. And a number of years later, after she had a federal clerkship and had been in practice, she went to work for Kraft, and she sent me a piece of my first real piece of legal, you know, litigation business. I was a third or fourth year associate, so this was this was big. It was a big case. It was a big. It was a big case for me. It was a big client. You know, it was a big deal. My first, my first piece of business. And I mean, that took real courage on her part because she had not been with Kraft very long when she sent me that business. And also she is a woman of color, which was also unusual at the time. And that, that really took a lot of courage for her to, to send this piece of litigation to me. And I'm happy to say it was uh, the first of many pieces of litigation I got after she was gone and after I had changed firm. So she really was instrumental in sort of getting that those juices flowing. It was like sort of the beginning of business development. And I have to say, getting your first case for a client is phenomenal, but even better than that is getting the second one because that meant you did a good job. And, you know, I don't know that I appreciated that until 
that happened. But you know what? She took a chance on me and there was no way I was going to let her down. So obviously you've got to do a good job when you get those opportunities. And so I'm really forever indebted to Bobby for, for sending that case to me. But I think that that kind of begins the focus, I think, on my professional torchbearers. Most of them were really my colleagues and contemporaries. But I want to take one more little detour there because I think they're kind of, you know, I mentioned Melinda Desir before, but some other like trailblazers or torchbearers. Marianne Sacamando Friedman, who was the first female president of the state bar, and she's from Buffalo. And so she's always been out there to the extent trailblazers are also torchbearers, however that overlaps. But so she's both. And also, I have to say, Bond's beloved Kathy Richardson was also then a president of the the state bar. And I've had the pleasure of knowing Kathy my entire career because, as I told you, Joe started at Bond. So I met Kathy as a first year lawyer and had the pleasure of knowing and, and following, you know, everything she's done for the profession and for women and in particular women at Bond over the years. So, I mean, though, I wanted to make sure that I, I mentioned the two of them, but now back, back to the Bar Association, because when I joined that federal courts committee way back a million years ago, I met Bob Hay and Bob is a partner at Kelly Dry and Bob was really the mover and shaker behind getting the state bar to turn that committee into the commercial and federal litigation section. There's obviously other pieces moving, but Bob was the person who got that done. And he was the first chair of the commercial and federal litigation section. So he had a lot of forethought. He wanted diversity and he wanted geographically and he wanted it all other ways. So, and he had noticed that I had participated. And of course I was a junior lawyer and, and what did I know at that time? So I knew discovery. So because I'm a PAC grad, I found a letter where I was uh, volunteering and served on the depositions and discovery management subcommittee because that was what a junior lawyer knows, thinks she knows something about, right? So that was what I was on that committee. And once again, back to volunteering, I didn't always volunteer, but when I did volunteer, I made sure I completed my project and, and did a good job. So he had noticed that in, in the little teeny, you know, toe in the water steps I could take, I had done so. And I was from Buffalo, so I had you know, I helped out geographic. I was good for a number of his diversity boxes. I hate to say it that way, but it was true. But he noticed me and he included me. And so I was one of the inaugural members of the executive committee. And obviously I worked my way up, you know, volunteered more and more as I could. My career progressed and I could do different things and knew more. Um, you know, I could volunteer more and I served as the treasurer of the section and I was on the executive committee for a number of years. And finally, I got to be a chair of the section and I'm still very active in the section and proud of the section. And frankly, that leads me back to the, those female torch bearers I talked to you about a little bit earlier. And those were like Bernice Lieber, who did also become a president of the state bar, Lauren Wachler, Carrie Cohen, Tracy Davis, Judge Shinlin and Leslie Rosenthal. They were the, the sort of the female members of our, you know, of that group, obviously. And then Bob, who I mentioned, Steve Younger, who also became a chair of the section, and Mark Berman, who was also a chair of the section, have all been, you know, instrumental and in, in sort of helping women along, promoting women's careers and mine in particular, just helping out with, with all kinds of, of things. And, and Bernice in particular, I mean, the thing is we all supported each other. Bernice trooped out to Buffalo more than 30 years ago. She was like eight months pregnant to help with the CLE. She, we participated in a CLE together. I mean, we kind of grew up together. And that, that's why doing the report I talked about earlier, after sort of working on this stuff for more than 25 years and 
you know, we, we've worked hard to help promote um, progress and we want to continue to make sure that, that that happens. So I think that that's why the report was very personal for all of us, as well as we do want to help the junior lawyers to move forward. It's, it's hard for junior lawyers at, at any, you know, any level to speak. I mean, the, as you know, the, we barely get into court at all anymore. And especially we won't even talk about, you know, pandemic wise, but it's important because we want to talk when we get there. But it's important that the junior lawyers get a chance because we need to make sure that they're trained going into the future. So I think the report helps out so many ways. The other thing, the section has been very, very active and it allows lawyers to interact with judges. That's one of the things the section has has been really good at in addition to all the fantastic reports and work that we've done over the years. And through this section, I got to know Chief Judge Judith Kay who you can't, you can't talk about any trailblazers or torchbearers without talking about her. I mean, she was an incredible person, the most prepared and polished speaker you could ever meet. I love to like hear her talk live. She was, she was amazing. And, but she interacted with our section a lot. And along with her second circuit counterpart at the time, Chief Judge Winter, they selected me to serve on the then newly formed New York State Federal Judicial Council's advisory group. So once again, because I had judiciously participated with that group, taking on what I could, even though I'm in Buffalo and they're in New York, I'm now the co-chair of that advisory group which is another phenomenal group. As many of you know, because you've gotten my email, say complimentary CLE. But it's a group of state and federal judges who work together to try to make sure the court systems talk to each other and resolve issues that are important or over, you know, intersect both of them. And so that that's also been a phenomenal group. And it's every, the, the leadership changes every two years for the council either a state judge or a federal judge. And right now it's led by a federal judge, uh, Judge Castell, who also is a former chair, ironically, of the commercial and federal litigation section. So everything kind of goes around and around, right? In addition to that, the section also allowed me to form relationships with other judges, lawyers, and now judges who were lawyers when, when I first was interacting with them, including New York's Chief Judge DeFiori, who appointed me to her commission uh, to reimagine the future of New York courts, where I have the pleasure of working with back to Mark Berman. And he, Mark Berman, as you all probably know, is a tech aficionado. And uh, he and I co-chair a group involving technology issues for that commission. And and we've come out with six reports since uh, this formed a year ago. So kind of another prolific committee here. And I won't bore you with all, all of the other things, but Judge K, you know, the involvement with Judge K, I mean, she obviously she could appoint you to do things. And once she knew you would actually do the work if she appointed you, I mean, because I did serve on her jury commission, which was also fantastic. She's just done a remarkable job. And, and she introduced me to Judge Lippman, who followed her, and he appointed me to the Commercial Division Advisory Council, which Bob Haig ironically co-chairs. So, you know, I get to work with Bob on yet many more projects and meet other judges and lawyers across the state and the country. And those, I mean, those relationships are, you know, are just invaluable. Okay. I don't have too many more here because I'm sure I'm forgetting someone. So I apologize. I really appreciate everything everyone's done, but I did. I also wanted to mention 
one does not really connect with the bar association, although she's always helped me out every time I've asked her to do something for the bar association, is my good friend, Fourth Department Associate Justice Erin Peridato. But she and I didn't bond through the bar associations. We bonded on adjacent stairmasters at 5:45 a.m. for many years. So, but you know what? She's stepped up every time I've asked her to do something. She's gone to New York twice on my behalf at different presentations. And, you know, she's just incredible. And I mean, once again, it's about supporting each other because we're, we're, she's, she's younger than I am. We're similar vintages, but you know what I mean? We've supported each other's. I mean, her achievements are remarkable and she's always been there whenever I needed her. So, I mean, I truly appreciate that. I think you can see how the relationships you make, they're really important. I, you know, I think I've always been, I've certainly been able to help my clients because of these relationships and just these efforts and just knowing, you know, when you can talk about something without just like, you know, searching on Westlaw to see what these judges do or what they're like, or, you know, I mean, I can't say I know every judge, but the more you do this stuff and you get to meet other people, I could also call somebody to ask about somebody if I need to. But, you know, I think I've helped my colleagues as well as their clients um, because of these efforts and relationships in addition, it's also allowed me to share my pride in Buffalo. And I know, Stephanie, you've come out and paddled with the uh, Dragon Boat team in Buffalo and, and, and my charity efforts. But I'm very proud of uh, this neck of the woods, all of upstate. Like I said, all these meetings tended to be in New York, right? So I wanted New York to recognize that uh, we're alive and well. This part of the state does exist. And we even have a vibrant legal community. So that's very important to me that I do that. And, and these efforts have allowed me to do that. And I was able to drag the whole group when I was the chair out to, I know we went to Canada to Niagara on the Lake, but when I ran a spring meeting, I got them to this end of the state and they came. It was very good. And also one of the first judges, I think the first judge who adopted one of those new rules to allow junior lawyers to participate was uh, Judge Henry Nowak, who was uh, one of the commercial division judges at the time. He had participated in the initial survey, as did Judge Walker, who was also the commercial division judge at the time here. And I mean, I'm very proud of uh, Judge now Chief Judge Wolford from the Western District was fantastic in helping out with all this stuff. And that their, their rule changes were really helpful and their participation is, is you know, most appreciated. Being part of these groups over the years has kept me current, if not in the forefront of legal development. It even gave me the, the courage or the Chutzpah, whatever, to call the New York Law Journal when I more than tw more than twenty years ago when I saw you know every other district had a column you know everyone had a roundup you know, you know southern eastern northern I'm like why is there no western so I guess some might say foolishly so I called the editor of the New York Law Journal what the heck and uh, of course what she said to me was oh thank you for volunteering and she sent me a publication schedule so well, I guess if you're gonna raise your hand or ask a question, you better be prepared to do something. So for 20 years, I wrote a quarterly column on the Western District Roundup, which I enjoy, actually enjoyed doing. It kept me you know, aware of what was kind of going on in our district. But I'm very, very happy to say that two of my colleagues, Jessica Copeland and Ryan Lafferty, have taken over the column. And so they're, they are going forward with it. And I'm very happy that they're up. They're picking it up. And as I said, you know, that was great work. It was fun to do. And I know that the judges actually appreciated the, our local judges that it was done because every now and then they would say something or, you know, I would call their offices looking for decisions way before we had all the fancy websites and things we have now where I can, it's much easier to find all that stuff. Because sometimes you know, before they're published, you know, you want to see what's going on. But I think that that was all, 
all worthwhile. And, and truly, I think it's all this, the other work that kind of led up, led up to that and gave me the courage to do that. So I, I very much appreciate that. It's been really great to hear your story and all of the work that you've done. And thank you again for your commitment to the bar and all of those projects that you've worked on that really have bore a torch for all of us that are still in the profession. We're coming up and rising, you know, so thank you for that. I'm great to hear that you are handing off the baton on some of your projects as well. That's great. So I have two very quick questions before we wrap up. My first question for you is if you could either go back and give yourself a piece of advice or give our listeners a piece of advice with respect to development in the profession, what would it be? Do not be afraid. Go for it. Ask. I think that's important. It might sound like I didn't need to give myself that advice, but I did. I didn't always take it. So I think that that's important. Don't be afraid. Go for it. You know, ask. And my last question, as we conclude this wonderful conversation, again, first, I want to thank you again. I can't thank you enough. I get truly honored to be able to meet with you, interview you. Meliora is the <laughs> our alma mater's um, motto, which means ever better. And I think that's fitting for our conversation as well. You know, Sharon has really bore a torch to us, to me, to several in our community and, and making it ever better. So Meliora, Sharon. Thanks again for taking your time. And my last question for you, just to end our discussion, is I want to pose a reflective question. As you're preparing to retire at the end of the year, I think we're all very sad for no longer seeing you in the hallways or at firm events necessarily, but I hope to see you at future Melior weekends, which is U of R's homecoming weekend. What is one memory you have that best reflects the work you have done and or the progress that we've made for women in the profession? Oh, and you're not getting rid of me that quickly. But, but anyway, this is very interesting. And it, the, the whole reflecting thing, it's a very, I had this experience this summer. So the women who were there will know because I mentioned it sort of at the time. But we had a women's initiative event during the summer. And the Buffalo uh, women all got together at uh, Jessica's house and in her backyard. We did our, we remoted in with, to all the other offices. We were in the backyard and then we had dinner together. And I could just see, you know, a bright future and progress as I looked around the group. It was an engaged generational group. I mean, we had everyone from our summer law clerks through me. You know, we had associates at various levels, members through me, the elder statesperson at the meeting. I never had that experience when I was at those other levels. I mean, to have that whole group, it was almost overwhelming. I don't want to get too choked up here, but it was, to me, that was like the perfect ending, if you will, because that showed progress. We had like from a summer law clerk to me and everything. And I could look at that and it was just kind of overwhelming to me because that was progress. I mean, there's oh, there's still more to do. I'm not saying every, we're there or everything is perfect. But I think that really moved me and it made me very happy and optimistic, you know, about the future. And Stephanie, I want to thank you. And because I see you in that bright future, and I look forward to seeing you at Meliora weekends as well as other bond events, because I, I do see you in that bright future. I'm very, very pleased to be part of this and wish uh, all of my colleagues, men and women, and everyone that's listening to this all the best, because I hope your career can be as good as mine has been. So thank you. Thank you so much, Sharon. And thanks again for your time. It's been wonderful having this conversation. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Legally Bond. 
If you're listening and have any questions for me, want to hear from someone at the firm, or have a suggestion for a future topic, please email us at legallybond at bsk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Legally Bond wherever podcasts are downloaded. Until our next conversation, be well. Bond, Shenick, and King has prepared this communication to present only general information. This is not intended as legal advice, nor should you consider it as such. You should not act or decline to act based upon the contents. While we try to make sure that the information is complete and accurate, laws can change quickly. You should always formally engage a lawyer of your choosing before taking actions which have legal consequences. For information about our communication, firm, practice areas, and attorneys, visit our website, bsk.com. This is Attorney Advertising.